0: Thanks for joining Impact Boom on this episode.
1: Disability isn't just about physical impairment, it's about how you feel about yourself, it's about body image, and if you can address some of those social issues by becoming self-employed, then it really starts to address some of those deeper challenges around disability.
0: Welcome to impactboom.org. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 299 of Impact Boom. My name is Indio
2: Miles, and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today, we're speaking with Guy Turnbull. Dr. Guy Turnbull is an award-winning, internationally recognized social entrepreneur. Highly acclaimed in his field, he has been a major figure in the cooperative and social enterprise sector since 1988, including building a UK based $35 million care cooperative from scratch and co-creating RED, an innovative approach to social enterprise development with people with disability. He was the 2018 Don Dunstan Foundation Thinker in Residence, focused on building South Australia's social economy through developing cooperative solutions to community and societal challenges. In 2016, Guy's work in the care sector was recognized by the Great British Care Awards, where he became national winner in the Outstanding Contribution to Social Care category. He was also the winning UK national finalist in EY's prestigious global competition, Entrepreneur of the Year. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing the concept of social care and its wide-reaching impact on society and key developments in the healthcare sector that provide extensive opportunities for entrepreneurs to act. Guy, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to have you. Delighted to be here, indeed. Excellent. So to start off, Guy, could you please share a bit about your background and what led to your interest and work in social enterprise?
1: It's a bit of a curveball, really. My doctorate is in geography. I've got a PhD in social geography. And when I was writing my thesis, my thesis was about youth unemployment and why youth employment policy didn't work in areas of high youth unemployment. And like a kind of inverse care law. I went undercover and ended up supporting the development of a housing co-op in a a difficult-to-let housing estate in the northeast of England. Just as a way of understanding and identifying why young people didn't want to work, I'd be a, a geographer, an academic, a lecturer, and then I just got blown away by the cooperative model, how this could be ethical, how you could share ownership with the workers or the consumers, and I just decided that I'd give up my academic career and focus on developing cooperative businesses. Mm. That was back in the late 80s. And and then from there, went on to become a cooperative development worker for a local authority in the UK for a number of years, and then set up my own co-op. What I learned in that time was... Because I always describe myself as an accidental entrepreneur. I never saw myself as running a business or running a social enterprise. And some of the things I learned along the way, which informs how we operate today, was firstly, you need to make the business model attack the social purpose or, or the social requirements. For example, the care co-op we've set up in the UK, the main challenges in care is staff continuity, so keeping labour turnover as low as possible. The way you, you deal with that is you give the workers a share in the business. So if we made profit, that profit will share with the workforce. That means the workforce stay loyal, they're engaged in delivering the service, bring to your staff turnover lower, so you deliver high quality care. It's all about not just running a business and then giving money for a social purpose. It's two sides of the same coin. It's coming up with social enterprise models, which the actual business model informs the social purpose. I think that's really key. And I think the second thing is business can be very overcomplicated and it is all about bringing it back down to very basic ideas about where is your break-even point? How can you keep that low? It's often a lot easier to keep your costs low rather than go for sales. Certainly at the startup. Time to start modestly but have ambition to grow.
2: Those are a few really great reflections there. Thank <laughs> you so much, Guy. And as a director of Healthy Social Care Proprietary Limited, can you explain to our audience the key differences between social care and traditional health services?
1: Social care is a UK term, I think in Australia, it's more disability and at home support. Social care is the non acute non-primary care activity you deliver in people's homes or in centres outside of hospital. It's about delivering at-home support, it's about NDIS support, supporting people in their social activities
2: or their economic activity. That's essentially what social care means awesome thank you for clarifying that for our audience there and that's really great to know about your work and in your early career we were just reflecting a bit on your background then but you also worked as a strategic business planner and consultant so what piece of advice would you give to an aspiring change maker to help maximize their chances of success in the field
1: I think you need to be really clear early on about what the business model is. It's all about trying to come up with a business model which integrates in with the social purpose. So another great example is the big issue, which is a newspaper to raise awareness of Mm. homelessness and also to create jobs for people who are homeless. Its route to market is employing homeless people to sell newspapers. So it's raising awareness and and its actual business model is linked to its social purpose.
2: So
1: you've always got to keep that in mind. So another example, back in the UK, we'd set up a, a craft cooperative. The problem with craft makers is that they're very good at making stuff, but they're not very good at selling it. So mm. you create a cooperative of makers, so you get that economy of scale. So you get 20 or 30 different makers together in one co-op. They can then afford to pay for a lease on a shop in a city centre. They can afford to appoint a, uh, a professional shop manager who knows how best to, to retail their products. Then the more an individual member of that cooperative sells through that shop, the more commission they pay. Again, integrating the business model with the social purpose. And, and that when ethical business can really make a difference. With the rapid enterprise development what we do, the red one. When I was on that housing and researching the, my PhD, I didn't realize I'd end up sitting up front an, and um running a $35 million care co-op. Along the way, I, I learned a few nuggets of how to write a business plan and how to raise money and how yeah. to shape viability. And we fed that very much into RED, which is Rapid Enterprise Development. It's all about making business development accessible for people with lived experience. And it, it starts on the, the premise that Business actually is all about people. It's all about the entrepreneur. So it's about working out whether the founding group that are setting up the enterprise have the focus, positivity, idea generation, thick skin, resilience. Mm. And actually, the more I thought about it, the more I recognised that there's a relationship and a link between those entrepreneurial traits and lived experience disability. The issues around having a thick skin and being fairly focused and doing things over and over to to get it right and ingenuity linked together. When we run our red workshops, we start with what makes an entrepreneur and then we go straight to break-even point. Mm. We have a very, very neat and simple way of training, teaching or explaining the importance of gross profit and contribution and and where, how many T-shirts, how many bars of soap you need to sell to break even. Mm -hmm. And once you've worked out that back of the packet point, you can then do the market research and the composition analysis to actually recognise whether it's viable or not. Once you can boil your business down to two or three key areas of KPIs, then everybody can understand what you need to be moving towards
2: it's a really fantastic step-by-step process that you just outlined there. And RED sounds like a wonderful program, just a great opportunity um, for any aspiring entrepreneur to participate in something like that. Yeah, and- we, we,
1: we've we had some great fun with it over the years and, and we were really fortunate, almost, almost uh, as a, a hobby, <laughs> as mm-hmm. worth giving something back. Uh, and then we were really fortunate that I have seen a RED program in South Australia, about three years ago. We've actually been sharing a lot of that support with the lived experience community here in SA. It's Maslow's hierarchy. So, what do we all need? We need somewhere to live, someone to love, and something to do. And for people with lived experiences, that something to do that is sometimes a real challenge because we, you know, a lot of people work, one generating an income that feeds self-esteem and a range of other things in occupation. For some people with lived experience where mainstream work is a challenge, uh, building self-employment is a real viable um, option. One of our clients, Melissa, wanted to be a fashion designer but she's also a great artist so we ended up creating this line of t-shirts. She outsources the printing and sells at markets and and along that way her confidence and self-esteem and knowledge and she even asked her support to see the, the change, the, the confidence. If you are self-employed you become more confident. Disability isn't just about physical impairment, it's about how you feel about yourself, it's about body image and if you can address some of those social issues by becoming self-employed, then it really starts to address some of those deeper challenges around disability.
2: Yeah, of course. and And you just mentioned it there that you got that funding to have read... In South Australia. So you're yeah. based in South Australia currently as a social entrepreneur. So what developments yeah. have you seen occurring in South Australia in that social enterprise?
1: It, it's been really interesting because I, I started to come to say in about 2013 when I met my future wife and mm. so started to commute between the northeast of England and South Australia. Then obviously we were very fortunate to be invited by the Dundance and Foundation to be the thinker in residence in 2018. I think some of the great changes have been one around infrastructure, so the creation of, of the Social SASEC Coalition, the development of, of better development and business support for people thinking about subject of social enterprises. I think we're certainly not there yet. I think there's still a lack of access to social investment capital in Australia widely mm-hmm. uh, and in, in SA. So, people starting up on the co op or the social enterprise route find it quite difficult to raise startup funding. There have been challenges for creating a really vibrant social enterprise sector. It, getting access to early risk capital, uh, mm-hmm. and that's something where it is still a challenge in Australia. You know, if you look at the UK, it's got a much more mature social investment market. And that's certainly not the case here yet, but needs to be. One, business development support uh, and tailored and bespoke for the social our sector. But secondly, you need access to that risk capital to really grow it. One one of the other really good changes, I say, is on social procurement. And I think one thing COVID has taught all of us is that the government can act and it can use its spending wisely. And I think the idea of using public procurement to generate local work and retain work locally is really
2: key. 100% agree with that. And all of the observations that you just made within South Australia, it sounds like a fantastic space to be watching in the future. That's for sure. Where do you believe there are opportunities for entrepreneurs to address the issue of access to healthcare?
1: What the other social enterprises that I'm currently leading with my co-director, Arthur, is Viva Mutual, which is a not-for-profit at-home support provider. November, so November Mm twenty, We currently have 60 workers delivering about 1,300 hours a week of disability support. Wow. And that's all part of where the real opportunities are is on the cusp between acute uh, and community. We need to see health and, and disability and care as a system. So one of the reasons we're getting ambulance ramping is that it's very difficult to do safe and timely discharge when there isn't enough support in the community to allow the through the hospitals. What you need to do is create social housing co-op solutions. So one, avoid hospital admission in the first place, the home use system technology and a whole range of other options to try and lower that admission. Then secondly, to have services that reach into the acute sector uh, and uh, facilitate safe and timely discharge. One of the things that is starting to be recognised in SA is the importance of lived experience peer support workers. For example, a lot of presentations in AE are around mental health. Uh, and actually, if we can do more early intervention, employ more people with lived experience and a qualification in peer support, we can get alongside those individuals, one, to avoid costly admissions, and secondly, there's better health and care outcomes as well
2: there's some fantastic opportunities you've just listed there yeah. and it's great to hear that you're leveraging them through Viva Mutual as well yeah. um, That new initiative yeah. that's really fantastic to hear so we've just got two questions left before, okay. um, before we finish up so the first one I've got is what other organizations do you believe are creating a strong social impact
1: I think think of this I think in the UK things have really changed the landscape it's an organisation called the social investment business which really kind of modelled that, that market for social investment when we set our cassette back in 2014 and, and grew it to, to a 35 million dollar co-op we did all that with unsecured debt mm. yeah, now, now that would be quite a challenge to do currently in Australia. Secondly, I think bizarrely, one of the other organisations that really made a difference was the UK government. So my background is co-option and employee-owned businesses and the tax treatment of worker-owned businesses in the UK is very favourable. So if you have your business Majority owned by what's called an employee ownership trust. You can distribute profits to the workforce tax-free. That resulted in a burgeoning of interest in employee ownership in in the UK, but also in terms of transforming business succession. Retiring owners, not selling out to the highest payer or to, to foreign investors, but actually selling their business to their workforce. Mm-hmm. And that, again, will retain wealth locally. And what we need to do, I think, create a locally owned social enterprise and co-op so we can actually retain wealth. Because what we know about employee-owned businesses is they retain wealth within their communities. Mm-hmm. And they pay better and they're owned locally. So you haven't got people stripping out profit but reinvesting it back in, into the local community. It's that idea of recycling money and cash. And that's what social procurement is, I think, all about. If, if we're serious about community worth building, it's about building a sieve for all the, all the cash which is spent in the community. We get to retain as much of it as we can.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you Google Employee Ownership Association in the UK, there's also an Australian version as well, and also the Business Council for Cooperatives as well.
2: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so our audience will be able to click on through to all of those and check those out. And to finish off, Guy, what books or resources would you recommend to our listeners
1: There's a book called The Great Game of Business by a hero of mine, Jack Stack. So I've actually met Jack, and mm. uh, 70s. Now now Jack was running in um, America a tractor engine manufacturing plant and he he gave it to his workforce. He actually gave the business to the workforce but he couldn't work out why they weren't acting like owners Uh, and what he did over the following decade was come up with a whole methodology for how you can get your workforce to start to act like owners. It's mm-hmm. about simplifying how they interpret it. It's about everybody understands the rules. They can follow the action on dashboards and they get a stake in the outcome. Yeah. I remember when we were developing CASA and Viva now, actually, it's, it's very easy legally to give somebody a share in the business. It's very difficult to get them to act, to act like you know, you constantly need to reinforce and find ways of of engaging the workforce. Because what we know in health and care is engaged employees deliver high quality care. So it's about how do we create that engagement all the time. My second book is the novel Catch 22 by Joseph Hiller. It just makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. It's one of the only novels I've read more than one. Firstly, if the first time, I'm not sure I quite fully understood it. And uh, it, it's one of those books that you can actually read again, because it, it is full of catches in life. And the 22nd catch in life is about flying in a world war. Mm, <laughs> it's yeah. A fantastic book.
2: Really great recommendations there. And as I just said, all of those organizations, initiatives and books and resources that you mentioned throughout our chat today, they'll all be linked in at the end of the article. So once the audience has either read through the transcript or listened to the podcast, they'll all be there for them to click through. And that actually brings us to the end of our interview and our discussion today, Guy. So I just want to say on behalf of Impact Boom, thank you so much for making the time to be able to share your insights. You're doing such no work and you've done such fantastic work and you will, I'm sure, will be continuing to do so through Beaver Mutual. And we're just keen to see kind of that development in the space and see where you end up in the future. So thank you so much. Good luck with everything. And thank you.